How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. And today, we have a very special episode because I'm going to be wrapping up my series where I'm reviewing every horror film that I saw in 2021. Of course, the first two parts of this series came out last October, and now we're coming in with the final segment. I'm going to try to keep this intro as short as I can because you guys are going to be hearing my ramblings for a very long time. And just a warning that this episode was the first episode that I recorded for the 2022 marathon, so it can get a little rocky at parts. It's me getting back into the swing of things, and that's what you guys want to hear. You want to hear me from the very beginning of the year, building up to some of the better episodes you guys are going to listen to. Not that this episode is bad, but it's me warming up the voice box. It's me getting used to doing these podcasts again. So I know you guys are going to enjoy it. I know that you guys are going to love hearing about all the rest of the films that I watched in 2021, but before we get into the episode, I want to make sure that you guys are subscribing to the show wherever you listen to the show, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, make sure you're subscribing, clicking that notification bell on YouTube, leaving me a rating and a review. It really helps the show out a lot. And if you enjoy this episode and want to share it with a friend, that would be greatly greatly appreciated. And now without further ado, we're just going to get right to the show. Enjoy every horror film that I saw in 2021, part three. Now let's get spooky. How's it going, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. I hope all of you guys are having a great October so far. I'm having a fantastic day, if I can just be straight up with all of you guys. I am having a great day. I was a little nervous because it's a little dark and gloomy outside. It's not the best day in terms of the weather, but as far as things going on in my life today is actually a really, really great day so far. I'm enjoying my morning coffee. Um, it's very, very nice, very um, great flavor to the coffee. If I, if you guys remember, because this is actually part three of all the horror films that I watched in 2021. If you guys remember in the first two parts, I was talking about these syrups that my wife got for the coffee. And even though that was last year, I still have one of these syrups. And I saved it for this special occasion to drink this morning and try it because I tried the other two in the other two episodes. And there's three of them. And they have a pretty long shelf life, so I kept this one sealed, and I opened it today for the very first time. This one is Pumpkin Caramel Scone. It's very, very good. I think the other one was Maple Donut, and the other one was another pumpkin-type flavoring. Um, but this one is very good. It's hard that I don't have the other two here to compare it amongst the other ones, but I think this one is very, very good as well. It's by Skinny Syrups. Um, really gets you in the fall spirit. I absolutely love it. But as I said, I'm having a fantastic day, and it just doesn't have to do with my coffee. I'm baking a bread downstairs in my spooky kitchen, if you will. Nice homemade bread in my bread machine. One of my favorite things to do um, is cook Italian food. I am Italian. I love cooking bread, pizzas, homemade pasta sauce, things of that nature. Absolutely love it. I'm making homemade bread today. Don't have any intentions on what I'm going to be using the bread for, but just love having a nice, hearty Italian loaf of bread in the home. 
Um, besides that, today has been great, not only for me, but for my wife as well. Um, today is actually, I'm recording this a little bit in advance, so if you want a little behind the screams, you can Google the date. Um, but today is National Speech Language Pathology Day. Um, so shout out to my wife and all of the lovely people that are in that profession. And on top of that, my wife is receiving her car today. My wife bought a brand new car. Um, it took a little while to get in because there's no cars that are on the lots at this current moment in time. So you kind of have to buy a car and then wait for it to be built and come in. So we've been waiting about two months for this thing to get here. And it finally got here today, so we're going to go pick that up. And also for National SLP Day for my wife, I did get her a gift. I bought her a brand new record player for her office. We've been using like this really you know, cheap but efficient Crosley record player for the past like six years or so one of those little briefcase ones but I got her the real deal I got her a good one um one that has like a cd player tape player you can do bluetooth you can of course play your records you can get am fm radio and it just looks a little nicer it has nice speakers it's nice and loud I was testing it out this morning um i played um, Ghost Album Prequel on vinyl, and then I also played Ghost Impera on cassette, just because I wanted to see how the cassette player sounded, and see how the record player sounded. I didn't listen to the whole albums, but those are just the ones that I put on. Um, and yeah, it sounds great, looks great, really ties her office together, really excited for her to get home from work and see it. Back to the house of horror. Back to our crypt. Back to 316 Dead End Drive, I'm very excited about the House of Horror this year. I don't know when, um, scheduling-wise, this episode is going to be coming out, but this is the first episode that I am recording for the 2022 House of Horror 31-Day Marathon. Uh, this is the first one I'm sitting down to do, so this one is really just sort of, you know, dusting off the old voice box, um, getting used to talking to myself again. I've been procrastinating making this episode for months and months, and I'm always like, when I have a day off, I'm going to record my episode, and I never do it. I always get caught up with doing something else. So today, I was like, I'm having a good day. I need to start recording this episode today. Um, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, I'm sick of procrastinating, and that's what I always do. And getting this first podcast up and running is usually the hardest. You need to get back in the swing of doing these things. Of course, we've taken a little bit of, of a break at this time. Um, recording the House of Horror and Brain Damage. We're all very busy guys, um, so we can only do these things a certain number of times out of the year. Um, so it's been a long time since I've recorded a podcast. I think the last w podcast that I've actually recorded was on my birthday, so it was a couple months ago. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to dive right into doing this podcast again. I don't know when this is coming out during the month of October, uh, but this is one, as I said, not only procrastinating recording, but releasing, because if you remember last year in the marathon, I was like, oh, we can just do the rounding out the 2021 films around Christmas time or for the new year. Um, and of course, I didn't do that. So I think this year I'm going to change that. I think that my Christmas episode or my New Year's episode or the first episode of the new year is going to be rounding out all of the films that I saw in 2022, um, which, of course, we'll get to in a later episode of the podcast because we need to finish out 2021, the films that I saw, before we get to the films I saw in 2022. So this is going to be rounding out the 
films that I watched. This is going to be the last part. I don't care how long this episode takes. This is going to be the last part so we can move on to the next year. Um, hopefully it doesn't take too long, but I'm not going to... If I have a lot to say about a film, I'm going to say it. If I have not so much about a film to say, then I'm going to keep it brief. Um, but hopefully this episode still ends up being the average length of an episode. I hope I don't go too long with this one. And hey, if it happens to go a little short, I'll find a way to fill the time. Because I always, always do. And so as you guys recall, I ended this last one... Well, I guess I didn't. I don't know if I said or not where I was in the calendar year of the films that I left off on, but it was around summertime. So this episode is going to be picking up where I left off, getting into the deep uh, months of the fall and the early winter, the winter season, which of course the majority of the winter was in 2022. We only get winter um, for a little bit in 2021. But. Regardless, we're going to be rounding out everything that I saw. I hope that you guys are ready to come along with me for the ride, and we're going to get right to it. But first, a word from our sponsor. All right, boys and ghouls, we're back from the pause for the cause. Thank you guys for supporting the show. And we're going to get right to it, but I just want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, please make sure if you're enjoying this episode, even if you're not enjoying this episode, just do it to humor me. If you guys would help me out and subscribe to my channel over on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you can listen directly on the Anchor app. Um, just wherever you're listening to the show, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, whatever, make sure you're subscribing to the show. Leave me a rating and a review if it lets you do that. It really helps the show out a lot, helps it get more eyes on it that normally wouldn't get it. Same thing with thumbsing, uh, thumbing up the video on YouTube. It really, really helps me out a lot, guys, more than you can realize. Um, share it on Twitter. Do whatever you guys can. Um, just wanted to say that real fast before we dive into the rest of the films that I saw in 2021. So... As I mentioned, we are getting into the fall and winter months of the year, and we're starting things off with Demons, a film that Midnight Miles, the Midnight Jester, Mandragora, has been talking about for a very, very long time. Loves the film Demons, and I love it as well after watching it for the first time this year. Of course, from 1985... Um, it's an Italian film. They do dub it in English. Um, I guess they dub it in every language because Italian films, they don't use the dialogue on set. They record everything in post. Um, so no matter what the film's dubbed, whether you watch it in its native language of Italian or not. Um, but Demons, they will make cemeteries their cathedrals and the cities will be your tombs. A group of people are trapped in a West Berlin movie theater infested with ravenous demons who proceed to kill and possess the humans one by one, thereby multiplying their numbers. This film is an absolute blast. Um, it's so 80s, tons of special effects, tons of gore, tons of ridiculous moments throughout. Um, it's a great film to watch with a group of friends, which is what we did. Um, this was in September of 2021, September 4th. So we were gearing up for the House of Horror. I was recording episodes all the time, getting ready for the episodes to start coming out in October. So it was a very, very spooky time of the year for me. Um, Demons was absolutely great. Um, I love 
the just all the ridiculous moments that take place in this film. It's really a film that you can't talk about without going through it scene by scene. Um, amazing transformations. The finale, if you will, when the guy is taking out all of the demons, he's riding a motorcycle through a movie theater with a samurai sword, just chopping everyone up. Um, and I think it was directly inspired by the episode of Kolshak the Night Stalker. If not, it's an uncanny resemblance where there's also a guy with a sword on a motorcycle chopping people up on a chopper. Um, and the resemblance is just uncanny. Um, of course, I don't know if it was directly inspired by Kolshak or not, but it would, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Um, I'm, I don't know if I'm the first person to make this connection, uh, but it was one thing that I noticed immediately upon watching this film. I was like, that it seems a lot like Chopper. Um, not a very good Kolshak episode. It's, it's one of my guilty pleasure episodes, but I can admit that it's not one of the greatest episodes of the show. But Demons, fantastic film, and we'll get to talking a little bit more about Demons coming up in a second. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on Demons because uh, we have prophesized me and Midnight Miles doing a double feature episode about Demons and Demons 2 at some point down the line. I think it would be a ton of fun to do. Um, there's a ton of shows that me and Miles have planned out for you guys. Um, it's just a process of doing them. We want to do a double feature of the Exorcist prequels. We want to do more double features of that nature. I'm not going to spoil everything right here. Um, but we did the Top 10 Horror Sequels podcast, so we want to do episodes where we look at movies and their sequels and compare and contrast them. So we want to do that with Demons and Demons 2. Um, I don't know if it's going to come out this year. I don't know if it'll come out later in the year, not part of the marathon. But I want to keep my words on Demons and Demons 2 a little bit brief. Um, if we do make that episode, I'm going to rewatch them anyway, take a good, a lot of good notes and stuff like that. So, Demons, good film, definitely recommend. The next films that I watched, all in sort of a row here, I'm going to kind of fly by a little bit because they are, they are episodes that already exist. I did episodes about these films that I watched. So, the next film that I watched on the 13th of September was Malignant, um, A New Vision. Of terror, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these walk waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. I watched this film twice. I watched it once by myself and once with Jared and Maisie and my illustrious wife, Beck Nasty. Um, and as I said, we did a whole podcast about it with Brain Damage. It was the premiere of Brain Damage, was our review of Malignant and a film that I'll get to in a second. Um, so definitely if you want more information about Malignant, you can go ahead and check out that episode. Same with the next film that is on my list, which is Straight out of Nowhere, Scooby-Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog. Ooga Booga Booga! With Mystery Inc. on the tail of a strange object in Nowhere, Kansas, the strange hometown of Eustace, Muriel, and Courage, the gang soon finds themselves contending with a giant cicada monster and her winged warriors. I thought this film was fun. I thought it could have been a lot better than what we got. Um, because this is a crossover that should have happened a long time ago, like how Scooby-Doo had the crossover with Johnny Bravo, um, Harlem Globetrotters, there's all kinds of Scooby-Doo crossovers, so I thought The Courage the Cowardly Dog, kind of the old school 
uh, spooky dog show Scooby-Doo with the new school sco uh, spooky dog show, Courage the Cowardly Dog. It was a match made in heaven. It's something that should have happened in Courage's heyday. Um, but it took took about 20 years for it to happen. Um, again, I did a whole episode about this, so you can watch that if you are so interested. And, yeah, same with the next one I watched, Candyman. As I said, that episode of Brain Damage was a double feature of Candyman and Malignant. But Candyman, I watched this on September the 19th of 2021. Dare to say his name. Anthony and his partner move into a loft in the now-gentrified Cabrini. After a chance encounter with an old-timer Anth exposes Anthony to the true story behind Candyman, he unknowingly opens a door to a complex past that unravels his own sanity and unleashes a terrifying wave of violence. I had a ton of fun watching Candyman in theaters, not so much by the film itself, but just the theater experience. Jared was fully unhinged that night. Um, tons of hilarious commentary. Um, between the two of us in the theater leading up to the film, um, talking about if we don't see Tony Todd's dick swarmed with bees, we are going to be very disappointed, um, making people in the line laugh at us and our ridiculousness. Um, very, very fun theater-going experience. Um, the film is good, too. I really enjoy the film. I haven't rewatched it since I saw it in theaters, um, but I would watch it again. Very good film. Um, had a lot of fun with it, had a lot of fun recording the episode of Brain Damage about the two films that I previously mentioned, Candyman and Malignant. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Candyman, definitely go check out that episode of Brain Damage from last year. The next thing that is on my list is Silent Hill. Um, Silent Hill from 2006, we've been expecting you. In search for answers, a mother travels to the enigmatic town of Silent Hill, where her daughter begins to suffer recurring nightmares related to the place. It doesn't take long for her to discover its home to bring... I am really struggling at reading today, ladies and gentlemen. I have two college degrees, but I cannot read a letterboxed synopsis. It doesn't take long for her to discover its home to beings as equally haunting as the town itself. This once again, is a film where there's an entire podcast episode dedicated to this, only it's not my podcast. It is Dark Knight of the Podcast. Um, we did an episode about Silent Hill. Um, I was very privileged to be a guest on the show, um, hosted by Troy Escamilla and Roger the Scream Queer Connors. Um, very fun episode to do. Go check out Dark Knight of the Podcast if you want to hear us talk about the film Silent Hill. I drop a little knowledge about the game aspect of Silent Hill, how the games sort of tie into the film. And overall, just a fun episode. Um, so go check out Dark Knight of the Podcast and listen to us talk about Silent Hill. The next one on the list from September 28th is Nosferatu. And this one, you guys had the privilege of listening to me do a commentary of the film. I was recording the commentary of the film this day, so of course, this is the day I watched it, because I watched it in order to do the commentary. I didn't just do a commentary and not watch the film. That doesn't make any sense. I watched the film, did the commentary, and this was the day that I did it. Of course, from 1922, it is the 100th anniversary of Nosferatu, directed by F.W. Murnau, starring... Ya boy, Max Shrek, a symphony 
of terror. Vampire Count Orlock is interested in a new residence in his real estate agent's young wife. F.W. Murnau's unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, highly illegal film, highly critically acclaimed film, highly viewed video that I made on my channel, 15 Phenomenal Facts about Nosferatu, which you guys should all check out. I'm never going to stop milking it. Until I have a video that surpasses that in views, never going to stop milking the Nosferatu 15 Phenomenal Facts video. Um, and I did a commentary of the film. I did a reaction to my video of the film. Nosferatu is something that's going to always be tied very deeply into my YouTube and my podcast and Buddy's House of Horror. I consider that episode, the Nosferatu 15 Phenomenal Facts, the first official episode of the House of Horror, even though it wasn't called that yet. That was the first video I did that was horror-related in the style of the House of Horror videos that I do. Very, very close video to my heart. I really don't think that video is as good as some of the other 15 Phenomenal Facts videos that I made down the line, but that's the one that sort of set the format for what the show is. Um, the pacing could, could have been a lot better. Some of the edits are a little rough. Um, the sound can be rough at points. But all the basic formula was there for what the House of Horror ultimately became and is still becoming i'm still not a thousand percent satisfied with my content i'm a perfectionist i always want to keep doing better and better and better um but we're here to talk about nosferatu right we're not talking about that nosferatu one of my favorite silent films absolutely pristine atmosphere wonderful lighting um especially if you get the tinting so it doesn't look like um, ridiculous when it does do the daytime scenes outside because it's supposed to be nighttime, so I do recommend watching it with a tilt. A tint, I'm sorry. Pioneered some special effects. Pioneered vampire mythology. This was the film that, of course, directly affected every vampire film after this, pretty much, with vampires being exposed to sunlight. Um, very, very great film. One of my favorite silent films. Not my favorite silent film that would be reserved for The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. But, very, very good. They're like neck and neck. I mean, it could be my favorite silent film. They flip-flop all the time. Um, but yeah, very good adaptation of Dracula. Of course, it changes things because it was illegal. Of course, it changes things just to have a cool ending. Um, but very, very great film. Love it a lot. The next film I saw in theaters... At the Cleveland Cinematheque, the Art Institute, was Tetsu the Iron Man. Um, very, very strange, ridiculous film. Um, a metal fetishist, driven mad by the magnet by the maggots, wriggling in the wound he's made to the uh, metal into his flesh. I'm not even going to read this. This film is insane. I'm not even going to read this description here, um, because this is just a film you need to see for yourself. Um, it's absolutely absurd. Special effects are crazy. The storyline is crazy. <laughs> the acting is crazy. The directing is crazy. This film is literally insane. Um, I loved it a lot. Um, this is from the late 80s. This was from 89, I believe. Um, it's shot in black and white, so it does have like this older look to it. Um, very low-budget looking. Um, very, as I said, I, there's no other words to describe it other than crazy and insane. Um, it's definitely a cult phenomenon. Um, for those who have seen it, I've never met anyone that's seen it that wasn't impacted by it or affected by it. I've never seen anyone 
like talk about this film or just look at it and be like, oh yeah, it was okay. Or they either really love it, really hate it, or, I mean, they have a lot of things to say about it. Um, but for me, I would rather you go see it for yourself. And because this is one that you could break down and do a whole episode of a podcast about, if I can be quite honest with you guys. And I've got a lot of films to cover because um, this is rounding out September. I've still got October, November, and December to do in this episode. Um, but definitely go see The Iron Man. Um, it is insane. See it in theaters if you can, or with a group of friends. Um, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. No pun intended with, uh, nuts and bolts, you know. So, in October, the first weekend of October, there's four films I'm also gonna fly by, because I did an episode about these. These were all during Cinema Wasteland. So, if you guys are interested in listening to my Cinema Wasteland podcast, Go listen to that from last year. Um, this podcast is just me telling you to listen to other shows, because a lot of these films I've already talked about. But I'm just kidding. This is not a cheap plug to get you to listen to my other episodes. Although there is a lot of crossover. Um, so I'm going to go through these films real fast. So first thing we watched at Cinema Wasteland, at least the first thing I watched, was Don't Answer the Phone from 1980, directed by Robert Hammer. He'll know you're alone. A deeply disturbed photographer and Vietnam veteran named Kirk Smith terrorizes Los Angeles by going around strangling lingerie-clad young women in their homes while taunting Lindsay Gale, a young psychologist, by calling her on a radio call-in show to describe his sexual hang-ups and misogynistic ways. While a local police detective, Lieutenant McCable, is always two steps behind in trying to catch the psycho. It's a ridiculous, low-budget slasher, early 80s, as I said, 1980. Um, the next film we watched was Shockwaves, which also has some other titles. Um, but this is a good film from 1977, The Deep End of Horror. Visitors to a remote island discover that a reclusive Nazi commandant has been breeding a group of zombie Soldiers, Nazi zombie soldiers. Um, this film has some horror heavyweights in it. You got Peter Cushing, you got John Carradine. Um, it's not a major classic. Um, it's kind of under the radar. This is from 77. Um, but I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, up next is The Corpse Grinders from 1971. Um, they went in people and came out hamburger grinding up human flesh. When the Lotus Cat Food Company finds itself in financial trouble, the owners decide to find a new, cheap source of meat, the local graveyard. Only one problem? Soon cats developed a taste for human flesh, and tabbies are tearing out throats all over town. So it's a killer cat movie. Um, it's insane. Again, I don't recommend this one to watch by yourself. This is the perfect Cinema Wasteland film. It's a perfect drive-in film. Um, it's the perfect film, as I say all the time, to watch with a group of friends. Um, and that's what I did at Cinema Wasteland. Everyone's friends there. I watched it with Miles and my wife um, and a bunch of other people who were laughing, having fun. It was a great time. Same with the next film, Bigfoot from 1970. Bigfoot Bikers. Insane. Really, there's multiple Bigfoots in it, so it's big feet. There's not, it's multiple Sasquatches, not just one Bigfoot. America's abominable snowman breeds with anything. Bigfoot kidnaps some women, and some bikers decide to go on a rescue mission to save them. And that's all you need to know. Bigfoot, bikers, 
and breeding, <laughs> apparently. Um, again, insane film. Don't watch it on your own. Watch it at a drive-in. Watch it outside. Watch it on an actual film projector. Um, preferably interspliced with commercials from the time period, which is how I watched it. Um, but yeah, those are the Cinema Wasteland films that I watched. There were four of them. This was on October 2nd. Um, that was the Saturday of Cinema Wasteland. Um, a lot of fun. Really enjoyed going to Cinema Wasteland. I went to Cinema Wasteland, the April show this year. Um, it wasn't the greatest experience for me. Had nothing to do with Cinema Wasteland itself, but I had some stuff going on in my personal life where I actually had to leave Cinema Wasteland early and I got to watch maybe 30 minutes of a film, and that was it. Um, so, very bad day for me in general. I wish I could have enjoyed Cinema Wasteland to its full extent, um, but just had some personal things going on, so I couldn't be there. Um, flat out sucked, in my opinion. It was a very, very bad day, in contrast to today, which, as I said, is a very, very great day that I'm having so far. Especially getting back in the swing of recording podcasts. Um, again, this is sort of, as I said, this is me sort of dusting off the old windpipes, um, getting used to talking again. So, I don't know, hopefully this episode comes out pretty good. I think I have a flow going, I think I'm flowing pretty well, um, so we'll see. Of course, I don't expect this to be the greatest podcast that I do of the month, because um, it's the first one. I'm still getting back into the swing of things. Um, so yeah. Next film we watched was Deathgasm. I watched this at home with my wife, and I gave her options. This was because we do our date nights once a week on, like, Tuesdays normally, sometimes Wednesday. But normally, Tuesday is our date night. And we always trade off on whose turn it is to pick what we're doing. So on this week, it just happened to be my week. I decided we're having an in-home movie night, but I'm going to give my wife some options. So I basically went upstairs, I picked up a bunch of films, and I separated them into categories. And so once my wife selected a category, and I'm not going to go through all the categories because there were like six, she chose the one of the films that we're going to party and drink beer to. Those were the films we were watching. That was the vibe. It was the party vibe. We had like... Uh, I'll go through a couple. So, like, one of them was like, we're going to watch these and drink beer. Or we can watch these ones and we'll drink wine. It was, like, more classy horror films, like Interview with the Vampire. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula was in there. It was all stuff that was, like, more classy. For the beer one, it was more, like, trashy, like, party films. So, like, Deathgasm was the one we went with. But there were other, like, party films. And, like, there was Murder Party in there. Um, I think I put, like, a Friday the 13th, um, one of them in there. Um, I think the remake of Friday the 13th, that's a total party film. Um, and a couple other options. But out of those, I can't remember every... I should have wrote it down. But my wife selected Deathgasm to watch. Evil is coming. There you go. Evil is coming. Two teenage boys unwittingly summon an ancient evil entity known as the Blind One by delving into black magic while trying to escape their mundane lives. Um, this film was fun. It was fun to watch with my wife. It was a great time all the way around. As I said, it is a party film. And I remember the music in it was absolutely a treat. There was, like, original, like, metal songs. Um, 
I love Deathgasm. Like, it wasn't like... I really enjoyed watching the film um, as it as it progressed. It's not something that I'm going to be like, oh, I need to watch Deathgasm all the time. But um, when I was there, in the moment, I loved watching Deathgasm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to revisit it again. As I said has really hard music in it. Um, the menu screen music is probably the hardest song in the whole thing, unfortunately. Um, there's not a song of that caliber in the actual film. Um, has a lot of great practical special effects, um, but unfortunately there are some bad CGI ones as well, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, it, 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 doesn't make a, it doesn't make the good ones... It doesn't tarnish the good ones. Like, there are a couple bad ones, and you kind of just laugh it off. Um, the music does go in, as I said. Um, there's Death by Dildos, Benoit Balls, Vibrators, um, the tons of crazy stuff. It's kind of like Evil Dead, but it's not really cranked up to 11. You'd think a horror film about rock and roll would be cranked up to 11. It was about an 8 or a 7 on the cranked up insane scale to me. Um... I watched the special effects bonus features on the DVD as well. It shows the guys getting dick shredded off with a weed whacker. Um, and it wasn't in the original film. Why they cut that, I have no idea. Um, but overall, the film, I thought, was a lot of fun. Um, not as much to say about Deathgasm. It's one of those, again, that you kind of just have to experience. Um, in the next film I watched, I hate to do this again, but there's several films coming up again that I did other episodes on. So these all just blow through real fast. Um, a couple days later, on October 8th, I watched Escape the Undertaker. Um, the Undertaker has set a trap for the decorated tag team, The New Day, at his mansion. What they don't know, The Undertaker's mansion is an extreme haunted house packed to the brim with supernatural challenges. It's up to the viewers to decide the fate of these poor souls trying to survive the wrath of The Undertaker. This film is kind of in the vein of, what's that film called? Bandersnatch, Black Mirror. Where it's on Netflix, you click the answers of what you want to do, you make the decisions of the main characters in the film. There's multiple endings, there's multiple routes you can take, you can die early, you can make it all the way to the end, you can get the good ending, you can get the bad ending. Um, and yeah, I did a whole episode about it, so you guys can go and check that one out. Wink, wink. Same with the next one. Unfortunately, as I said, we're getting into October, so I was watching a lot of the films that I was doing episodes for. It was VHS 94. Watch this on October 11th. Five new tapes, one nightmare. A mysterious VHS tape leads a police SWAT team to discover a sinister cult whose collection of pre-recorded material reveals a nightmarish conspiracy. This film, with including the wraparound, has several short stories. Of course, the one that is the most highly regarded in my mind is the one with Ratma. All hail Ratma. There's one in a funeral home with the corpse coming back to life. And there's one that takes place a couple miles down the road in Jefferson, Ohio. <laughs> Basically, um, the one with the rednecks blowing up chickens and stuff. Um, with vampires. That one's ridiculous. The, I don't enjoy the wraparound. I don't like the short in the middle with the machinery, which is basically Heisenberg's factory. I'm not into that one as much. Um, but overall, VHS 94 might be the best VHS film front to back. Um, and yeah, did a whole episode about it. Check it out. 
Um, pretty soon, once we're out of October, that's going to be all new films that I didn't do episodes about because October was the end of the season, basically. Um, so yeah, go check out my episode about VHS 94. The next film I did not do an episode about. So I can talk about it a little bit longer than some of these films leading up to this point. The film is Titan. From October 13th was when I watched this in theaters. It's a foreign film, but it doesn't feel like a foreign film. You, ha you tend to forget as you're watching it that you're reading subtitles. Um, it's one of those films that completely engrosses you, and you're just in the moment, you're there, and everything about this film are things that I love. Crazy body horror stuff. Um, everything about this film is insane. Um... I will just read the description for you, because I don't think the description is going to make it as sound as insane as it does. I haven't read the description yet, but I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, it looks very brief. Following a series of unexplained crimes, a former firefighter is reunited with his son, who has been missing for 10 years. If that's all this film is about, um, this description is doing it a disservice. Um... It's vague on purpose, I believe, this letterbox description of the film, because the film is so much more insane than that. Um, it deals with a lot of PTSD, um, stress. It deals with um, insane kind of sexual things. There's some, you know, human-on-car action in this one. Um, one of the notes I took down when I was watching the film in theaters was there's a shirt that says, Never Give Up. Um, so I guess the filmmakers were big fans of John Cena. Um, this film was probably my favorite, like, new release film that I watched in 2021. Um, very artistic, very disturbing. Um, it's not so much a scary horror film, it's more of a disturbing, like, sad, depressing, really fucks you up kind of horror film. It's very artsy, it's very art house. Um, we saw it with, um, Miles, his girlfriend, my illustrious wife, and our friends Dylan Nimi from the Clumsy Walrus podcast, and his lady, Kristen. Um, Dylan was not a fan of the film, so much so that after the film, he proceeded to angrily walk out of the theater and scream, WHERE IS THE STRUCTURE?! He was very upset with the structuring of this film, and really, it's a big difference because Miles and I loved the film. So it just goes to show that this film is either loved or hated. Um, it depends on your personal tastes. Um, me, I loved it. Dylan hated it. I don't think my wife... Well, I don't know. I, let's see the ratings for this of people who've watched it. Miles gave it four stars. My wife gave it four stars. But Dan Kinnam, the illustrious Dan Kinnam from Adjust Your Tracking, gave it half of a star. Um, Dylan gave it two stars, so I guess Dan hated it more than Dylan did. I would love to hear Dan's take about Titan. Um, but again, this is another one I think everyone should just go ahead and watch. Um, it's very insane. If you're a horror fan, like a, like an artsy horror fan, not so much like jump scares and slashers and stuff like that, if you want a horror film that's gonna get you thinking and kind of fuck you up a little bit, um, Titan is one of my favorites from the last year. And, yeah, that's all I got to say about that, as Stone Cold Steve Austin would say.
Alright, so coming up next is another film that I have once again talked about in numerous other shows, not only an episode of the House of Horror podcast from last year, but an episode of Brain Dead, uh, Brain Damage, not Brain Dead, Brain Damage podcast with your boys Midnight Miles and Dynamite Jared, Halloween Kills, of course, the illustrious film directed by David Gordon Green, the sequel to the reboot slash remake. Um, what do they call it in Scream? Um, in Scream, like the new one, they have a word for it where it's sort of a reboot, sort oh, a requel. I think that's what it's called, a requel, where it's a half remake, half reboot to the franchise. That was in 2018. This is the sequel to that film, Evil dies tonight. Not only the tagline of the film, but the line they repeat over and over again throughout the film. The nightmare isn't over as an unstoppable killer, Michael Myers escapes from Laurie Strode's trap to continue his ritual bloodbath. Injured and taken to the hospital, Laurie fights through the pain as she inspires residents of Haddonfield to rise up against Myers. Taking matters into her own hands, the Strode women and other survivors form a vigilante mob to hunt down Michael and end his reign of terror once and for all. And obviously, since we are getting another film this upcoming October, their plights were unsuccessful. Um, this is a film that, again, I've talked about in other shows, so I'm not going to go too much on it here. I did get the 4K Blu-ray release of this film, which has an alternate ending, and I believe it's a director's cut as well. I believe it has some additional scenes and stuff. So I am looking forward to checking out that release of the film and hopefully doing another podcast about the film, my thoughts about the film a year later, and rewatching it again um, before Halloween ends come out, um, which should be out this month. So... Look forward to all of that. Coming up next are the films that I watched on Halloween itself. So on Halloween, I had Miles over, had Jared over, uh, Mazer Laser was over, and of course, my wife Beck Nasty was in the house because it is also her house. Um, and we watched several films. It was a triple feature that night. So I'm going to be getting into the three films that we watched on Halloween night. Coming up first was the remake of The Blob from 1988. Scream now while there's still room to breathe. Terror has no shape. Remake of the 1958 horror sci-fi about a deadly blob, which is the spawn of a secret government germ warfare project which consumes everyone in its path. Teenagers try in vain to warn the townsfolk who refuse to take them seriously while government agents try to cover up the evidence and confine the creature. This one is very, very different from the 50s version of the blob, but is also very similar in a lot of ways. I do... I don't know which one I prefer because I like them both just in very different ways. Um, of course, the original film, very campy, very cheesy, but it's a classic. It is one of the classic sci-fi alien invader type movies. And this film, it's not even an alien invader. It's used for government warfare. Um, but the other one, it literally crash lands on the planet and all that stuff. It leads to a lot of great scenes. It has a standout lead actor, Steve McQueen, in it. This one doesn't really have that same star power in it. The star of the film is the blob. You're there to see the blob fuck shit up. You're there to see crazy special effects. You're there to see someone getting sucked down a sink. Um, it's a crazy film special effects wise. It's a good party film. We had a great time watching it. Um, but if you're into like a character film, if you're into something a little bit more fun and grounded, the original blob is the way to go. But if you're looking for like a party vibe, you're looking for 
just insane effects, insane um, 80s cheese, rather than classic B-movie 50s cheese, um, the remake is the way to go. Again, I love both films. Um, neither of them, I think, are like amazing god-tier classics. I think I'd give them both three stars. But I do like both films. I enjoy how one of them really rep... They both really represent the time period in which they were made, because obviously that one fits in right well, right in with all the other Alien Invader movies going on at the time. <clears throat> in the 80s, all about special effects. The blob fits right in with that as well. Coming up later that evening, we probably started this one around 10 o'clock at night because um, it was a long night for us. So we watched The Blob, and the next film was Demons 2. Um, very, very similar to the original Demons in a lot of ways. There's a change of setting, but the concept and the premise and everything is pretty much the same this one was from 86, um, The Nightmare Returns. A group of tenants and visitors are trapped in a 10-story high-rise apartment building infested with demons who proceed to hunt the dwindling humans down. Um, again, very, very similar to the first film. And again, this is a podcast Miles and I are probably going to be breaking them both down in depth. Um, this one is very similar to the plot of the new Evil Dead movie that's coming out. Um, where it's a sequel, but it's taking place in a high-rise apartment building, which I guess is kind of a unique setting for a horror film. I mean, they take place in cabins in the woods, they take place in, like, a haunted house, but this, like, but, like, a whole apartment building, that's something that's very unique, um, I would say. It's a very different environment. Like, when I think of horror films, I don't think of high-rise apartment buildings, so it does make it stand out amongst its predecessor, because you do see a lot of films that take place in a movie theater, I guess. Like, there's popcorn, um, there's, like, terror at the multiplex, there's, like, a movie theater in the blob, the blob, there's a big scene in a movie theater in the blob. So, I guess the apartment building is very different when it comes to, like, classic horror, which I appreciate. Um, again, special effects are great, um, and yeah, we're gonna be breaking it down at some point in the future, I hope. Next, very, very late into the night, on November 1st, actually, because this had to have been after midnight. At least it was rated after midnight, because um, that's when I have it rated on Letterboxd. So we probably started it at a certain time. It ran a little bit late, but it was Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. It was a Paramount Plus exclusive. Um, and yeah, it. I had to sign up for a fucking free trial of Paramount Plus to watch this shit. 2021, brand new new release, we watched it as soon as it came out, The Activity is Reborn. Margot, a documentary filmmaker, heads to a secluded Amish community in the hopes of learning about her long-lost mother and extended family. Following a string of strange occurrences and discoveries, she comes to realize this community may not be what it seems. This film is a mixed bag, in all senses of the word. Um, everyone on my letterbox, I'm looking at their reviews right now. No one has given it above a two star. A two star is the max, including myself. Jared gave it one star. Um, Jan and Joel gave it one and a half star equally. Um, and a couple other people gave it one and a half star and two stars respectively. 
I had a lot of fun watching this film. I can't say it was a good film, but I had fun watching it with my friends, making fun of it a little bit here and there. I do enjoy the concept of the film. I like the story of the film. Um, it makes sense that it looks so crisp and polished because it does take place in modern day, shot by filmmakers. A lot of people have had problems of how good the film looked, but it makes sense if your characters are filmmakers. You're not a guy with a VHS camera or security cameras in his house. These guys are using actual cameras to shoot this, so I can defend that for a little bit. What I can't defend is at the end how it forgets that it's a found footage movie, and it's just cutting and using actual cinema-like shots where literally it's not found footage at all. They're just shooting a film at portions in the last one, as in not the characters are shooting a film. The film crew is shooting a film in that last section there. Like, it completely forgets that it's found footage. I had a ton of fun with it. Of course, you could see the twists coming a mile away. Um, but I thought the film, albeit not a good film, was a ton of fun to watch. Um, at some point, I might have to rank all the Paranormal Activity films and talk about them in depth, because now I've finally seen all of them. Because coming up next, on November 2nd, I did a double feature of the one Paranormal Activity film that I had never seen before, and one that I saw right when it came out, but then had sort of ignored it for years when I had rewatched the other ones. Um, but starting with the one that I had never seen, just because the trailers looked absolutely abysmal, the reviews were worse than abysmal, was Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. It is a Christmas horror film. Um, it takes place around Christmas time, I remember that if I remember correctly. This was from 2015, the only Paranormal Activity film that I did not see in theaters, besides obviously Next of Kin because it did not come out in theaters. You can't save them all. All you can do is watch. Using a special camera that can see spirits, a family must protect their daughter from an evil entity with a sinister plan. Again, I don't know why I avoided this one, because albeit it is a terrible fucking movie, I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I gave it two stars. I can't justify giving it more than two stars. But regardless, I had a ton of fun watching it. Um, there's a lot of great moments in it, and again, that is one that I want to do. I don't know if I'm going to do it with Miles or whatever, but I think ranking the Paranormal Activity films, maybe with Jared, because Jared loves fucking the Paranormal Activity films. He loves found footage movies, um, so that might be a good one to do with him. If you guys want to see a ranking of the Paranormal Activity films, let me know down in the comments below, or let me know on Twitter, because the next one is Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, which I gave a slightly higher rating of two and a half stars. Once marked, it is already too late. This is from 2014. 17-year-old Jesse has a hearing Ter <clears throat> wow, Jesus Christ. Let me restart that. I apologize to all of your eardrums for listening to my terrible throat noises right now. Again, as I said, I'm getting used to doing these again, so my voice is already getting fucking hoarse. 17-year-old um, <clears throat> Jesse has been hearing terrifying sounds coming from his neighbor's apartment, but when he turns on his camera and sets out to uncover their source, he encounters an ancient evil that won't rest until it's claimed his very soul. Um, this one, a lot of people actually kind of like. Um, I know Miles praises it as one of his favorite in the franchise. I thought it was very middle of the road, 
Um, I don't like it as much as the ones that I really love, but I think it's a lot better than the ones that are kind of at the bottom there. Um, it's sort of a, it's a side story. It does it isn't part of like the one through five, um, but I I do count it. Um, I guess Paranormal Activity: The Ghost Dimension doesn't have five next to it anyway. But this one was marketed as sort of a side story, not in the main storyline, although it does tie in, particularly in the end. Um, but yeah, this is, again, I want to do a full thing about this, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet. The next film I watched on November 8th was Debs. You can look that up. It's not a horror film, but just worth pointing out for some reason why my wife and I watched that. Moving on to the 9th, we watched, well, I watched by myself for the first time in its entirety, all 184 minutes of it from 1979. In a very long time, the first time I've watched it in a very long time, of course, I'm talking about the Toby Hooper-directed Stephen King adaptation of Salem's Lot. One of the best vampire looks and imagery in film history. Everyone knows the image of the vampire over the house. Of course, it was parodied in Ghost's first album, Opus Eponymous. Um, you see it. I have it on a shirt. I'm probably going to be wearing the shirt in the thumbnail for this, I would imagine. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm still deciding what shirt I'm going to wear in the thumbnail of this, but if it's Salem's Lot, you know why, but maybe if I have Salem's Lot in the background of the picture, because I put the movie posters in the background, maybe I won't wear the shirt, because that'll be a little bit of overkill, um, or maybe I'll just see on my hard drive which images of myself I have saved to use for future thumbnails and just pick one of those, but regardless, it was a little bit of a tangent there. Whew. Let's talk a little bit about Salem's Lot. It is a very, very long film. It's actually a miniseries that aired on television, similar to It or the Tommyknockers or all those Stephen King miniseries that you see on TV. Ben Mears has returned to his hometown to write a book about the supposedly haunted Marston Mansion. When people around the Marston house start dying mysteriously, Mears discovers that the owner of the mansion is actually a vampire who is turning them into an army of undead slaves. One of the best vampire stories of all time. I think it deserves sort of a remake, maybe trim down at the edges or maybe make it like a two-part movie. Um, like Salem's Lot and then a part two, because watching this film from beginning to end, like by yourself, it's a bit of a journey. It's a bit of a tough watch to get through. It is a very, very good film. You'll enjoy it and you'll be happy that you watched it, but it is, it's like watching like Lord of the Rings or something. It is a commitment to sit down and watch this thing. Um... Yeah, 184 minutes is a very, very long time. Um, but again, I guess people today are used to watching all these Marvel movies, binge-watching shows. So maybe it's not that big of a deal, but again, it's not the most like engaging sort of movie like by design. It's more of a slow burn, so I can see why it isn't really talked about as much today as some of the other films from the 70s. Um, but yeah, Salem's Lot, I love it, I love the imagery, I love the story, um, Toby Hooper, of course, is at the top of his game, um, in the late 70s, early 80s, um, yeah, Salem's Lot, great, great film, and now we are moving on to some of the more, well, towards the end of the year, so we're getting into some Christmas horror, we're getting into some other things, and we're almost done, we're wrapping up everything that I've watched in 2021, 
Um, I did a double feature on November 11th with Miles, which we did a podcast about of my favorite film of all time, at least in the top five, American Movie, and the movie that they were making in American Movie, Coven. I'm not going to harp on either of those because they deserve their own show in and of itself, and I've done a show about them with Miles before reviewing both of them. Um, But right now, we're just going to start moving on to everything that I watched during... It's almost Christmas time. Like, it's a lot of Christmas horror films and a couple other ones mixed in here and there, but mainly Christmas horror films. Starting on November 29th, I rewatched the Christmas classic from director of Trick or Treat, Michael Doherty, Krampus, Krumpus, um, the horror comedy, which not only splits genres of being horror and comedy, but split audiences. Some of it thought it was trash. Some thought it was a masterpiece. Um, I like the film. I think the film's a lot of fun, but I can understand some of the criticisms toward it. I think it would have been a much better film had they gone one way or the other, because it's sort of mixing... It doesn't know if it wants to be for kids and preteens or if it wants to be hardcore balls to the wall for adults. I think if it would have tapped into one of those audiences and stayed there instead of trying to do both, it would have been a much better film. But regardless, you don't want to be on his list. A horror comedy based on the ancient legend about a pagan creature who punishes children on Christmas. Um, There's animated portions of the film. There's a lot of trippy scenes in it. Of course, it becomes sort of like like a Gremlins or something like that when the gingerbread men are chasing everyone. You don't see Krumpus that much, which is a good thing. He His reveal is good. Um, it's not like another film on this list where you don't see Krampus at all, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, there's not too much to say about it. It's one of the... Maybe in the coming years, people will start appreciating it a little more. It's been out for seven years now. Um, but we'll see if it has a reputation of being a Christmas horror classic, or if it just kind of gets overshadowed, um, in the coming years by stuff that could come out that could be potentially better. I mean, who knows? My favorite Christmas horror film is one that we watched last year, um, Gremlins. Gremlins stood the test of time, we still talk about it today, um, so we'll see if, if Krampus can, you know, stand the test of time. And now we're moving into December, and we'll be talking about one of the films in December that I watched that was horror, but not a Christmas film. I'm, of course, talking about the queen herself, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. It is a terrible film from 1988, but let's talk about it. When her great aunt dies, famed horror host Elvira heads to the uptight New England town of Falwell to claim her inheritance of a haunted house, a witch's cookbook, and a punk rock poodle. But once the stuffy locals get an eyeful of the Scream Queen's ample assets, all hell busts out and breaks loose. Um, this film, you can borderline not even call it a horror film. I don't really even consider it a horror film. It is a comedy film. It has a few horror elements in it. Um, but you're there to see Elvira. Of course, famed horror host. Very, very famous at this point in time. Um, there were horror hosts are not really too much of a thing these days. Of course, we have a lo- few local ones here in Cleveland, like The Mummy and the Monkey, um, the Big Bad B-Movie show. But back then, you had, like, Goulardi. 
um, what's his name? Sven Gulli. There was an original Sven, Sven Gulli. I am stumbling all over my words. I'm sorry about that. But there is a Sven Gulli now. It's not the original, but he actually has been doing it longer than the original Sven Gulli. But, I mean, on network television, you have all kinds of horror hosts. Grandpa Munster would host things. Um, it's very, very common back in the day. Not as common now. Um, you have Joe Bob Briggs now. He's been doing it for a while. Um... But yeah, Elvira, very, very much a product of her time. This film is not very good. It's mainly a comedy, and I just feel bad because it was such a missed opportunity because I think you could have done such a good horror film with Elvira as your star, but instead they went like a completely different route than I think they should have gone with this film. Um, it's one I need to give another chance. I watched it once when I was very, very young. This was my second time re-watching it. Um, but yeah, I wish they would have done a better Elvira film. I think they could have come up with a better story, better gags, better horror elements. I would have loved to have a straight-up, like, horror comedy instead of a comedy film where a couple horror things come in at the end. Um, I would have loved to see more stuff throughout. Um, there's not too much to say about it. Again, it's not a very good film. I do have some slight nostalgia for it. Um, and I love Elvira as a character, obviously, and as a horror host. Um, but the film itself, it doesn't really do much for me, or for anyone else, really. It's not very highly regarded as, like, a classic or anything. Um, but yeah, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. The rest of the films on the list are all Christmas horror films. And some of these films I've talked about on another podcast. I was a guest on the Shack's Loop podcast, where they did Christmas at Buddy's House of Horror, where we broke down a bunch of the horror films that I'm going to be talking about here in a few seconds. Um, and we are winding down the podcast here, um, so it's just going to be a little bit more. We are in December and we're jumping all the way to December 17th, where I watched Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. A sorority house is terrorized by a stranger who makes frightening phone calls and then murders the sorority sisters during Christmas break. This, of course, was from 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who is also known by directing another Christmas film that everyone knows, everyone watches every year, A Christmas Story, starring Darren McGavin, who is Carl Kolshak himself, which brought us into the Kolshak's loop, um, which is one of the films we talked about on that episode. So we really went in depth on breaking down Black Christmas and a lot of the other films I'm going to be talking about here in a second. Um, but Black Christmas is a genuine horror film. Of course, it influenced Halloween, which came out a few years later. Um, it influenced all kinds of things. It's sort of underground. You don't hear it as much as other horror films from the 70s, such as like slasher films. You hear a ton about Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but Black Christmas is sort of like the black sheep of, like, the major, major slashers that came out in the 70s. Of course, there were a ton of slashers came out in the 70s and 80s, um, but Black Christmas, it's sort of on, like, that B to C tier. People don't really refer to it up in those A ranks. Um, it was reportedly based on true events, as there were an actual series of murders around Christmas time in Montreal, and it was combined with a bunch of urban legends and a babysitter in the man upstairs. It was a big urban legend that was going around at the time. Um, it's often credited as the first slasher film, 
And it does have a lot of elements, um, but of course you have stuff like Peeping Tom that came before this. You have stuff like Psycho that came before this. So I don't know if you can call it the first quote-unquote slasher, but it was one of the first ones where all of the elements of a slasher film would be put together. Um, it was very low budget, very atmospheric, um, and you can see all the influences that it had on Halloween. The POV shots, the murder scenes... Um, it's not that gory, which is also something it shares with Halloween. There's not that much gore in it. Um, yeah, it's like all the elements came together. The POV shots, the budget of it. Um, just everything where we think of what a slasher film is. Black Christmas is one of the pioneers of the genre. It's very, very vulgar. Um, I don't like some of the language that's used in this film. Um, it influenced When a Stranger Calls because the person calling is inside the house, and that's where a lot of the vulgar language comes from, which makes the film a little bit uncomfortable. For me personally, I could do without a lot of that. I think you still could have had a compelling, scary villain without him saying such nasty things on the phone. Um, it's because it's not scary, it's just kind of offensive towards women. Um, I don't really, I'm not really into it. What can I say? I'm not really into it. The film does have a lot of comedic elements as well. Um, like, one of the frat guys is a Santa Claus at a mall, and he's like, ho, 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 shit, ho, 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 fuck. It's just like, so it's not completely serious all the way around. There is some lighthearted moments to it. Um, maybe one of the reasons it doesn't hold up as well, or it's not as fondly remembered as some of the big slashers, is because the killer is never revealed. I mean, you have Jason, Michael Myers... Um, even stuff like Alice Sweet Alice, you see the killer. Um, not only do we not know who the killer is, he doesn't even have like a distinct look. Like you don't see it at all. It's all through the POV. You don't see a shadow. You don't see anything really. Um, it's all just the POV camera. Um, but yeah, as I said, not the first slasher film. Um, something interesting that I noticed when I was researching this for the Shacks Loop podcast, there was a weird fact that it said Elvis. This was his favorite horror film of all time, and he would rewatch it every year, um, which is strange because this film came out only a few years before Elvis died, so I guess maximum he could have watched it like two, three, four times maybe. Um, very, very strange fact. I don't know the validity of it. Um, if I ever meet one of Elvis's relatives, that's the first thing I'm going to ask is like, yo, was Black Christmas his favorite film or what? <laughs> <sighs> Either way, that's about all I have to say about Black Christmas. Um, I do like it quite a bit. Four-star film. Um, very, very great. Um, I watched a lot of films in this span, but not a lot of them were horror films. Um, I watched Elf. I went to the theater, saw Spider-Man No Way Home. And watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and A Christmas Story back-to-back. -back. Um, had to get some Cole Shack in there. Um, the next that I watched in preparation for the show, I watched this, I believe, the day we recorded the show, because they said this is one of the films we were going to be talking about, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Um, it's a film I had never heard of. It is a foreign film, um, and I watched it for the first time. He knows if you've been naughty, he knows if you've been nice, and he doesn't give a shit. Young Pitari lives with a reindeer-herding father in Antarctic Finland. On the eve of Christmas, a nearby excavation makes a frightening discovery, and an evil Santa Claus is unleashed. 
So it's another Krampus film, um, but it's very, very different from the Krampus film we talked about before. This one, it's very absurd. It's a horror comedy, but it does portray itself very seriously, and it does have some dark comedic moments in it. Um, and we go into this film in depth in that Kolshak's Luke podcast. This was the film that... Um, Robert brought to the table. This is the film that he championed and the one that he wanted to talk about. So I will direct you over to that podcast and you can listen to us talk about it. Um, but overall, I thought it was a very, very fun film. There's a hilarious moment where there's a bunch of elves and the elves in this film are depicted as old men. And they're like, because Krampus is huge, right? So the elves are the same size as normal human beings. And there's a scene where there's a bunch of naked elves just running over the Finnish landscapes. And it's one of the most hilarious shots that I've seen in a film in the past few years. Um, very, very funny. Um, but Rare Exports, go check it out on the Kolshak's Loop. We also talked about Gremlins a little bit, which I did not watch this year. Um, and some versions of A Christmas Carol. Because A Christmas Carol, no matter which way you look at it, there's ghosts, there's creepy shit. A Christmas Carol is a horror story. It's a horror film. Um, the next one I watched was Santa's Sleigh. Of course, starring Bill Goldberg from 2005. Hilarious slasher film. Um, this was my first time watching it, I think. If I'd seen it before that, I don't remember too much about it. Um, but Santa's sleigh, he's making a list. Pray you're not on it. Santa Claus is actually a demon who lost a bet with an angel, so becomes the giver of toys and happiness. But this year, the bet is off, and Santa is about to return to his evil ways. Um, I think this film is an underrated comedic gem. This is one that I think, if I, I guess if you, even if you're not a wrestling fan, I would say check this one out, just to see how ridiculous Goldberg is in this. Um, a lot of people hate on this film. I'm looking at the reviews right now on my letterbox. It's only been watched by two people, and they've given it one and a half and two and a half stars, respectively. But I think the film is a ton of fun. I think it's great. Um, there's a lot of things about the film that obviously are not really the best. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. It, you're there for the cheesy Christmas fun. It's def one that I'm definitely planning on rewatching. Um, the next film is Mother Krampus 2 Sleigh Ride, shot in Cleveland, um, starring a lot of people that I know. Um, so I never watched it before, so I wanted to check it out. All She Wants for Christmas is You. It's Christmas time in Cleveland, Ohio, and four young ladies are on the verge of completing their mandatory 30 days of community service. With only one night to go, they are required to make a series of in-home visits to the older and less fortunate. Upon arriving at their final stop for the night, they become introduced to a pleasant older woman who graciously welcomes them into their home for the evening. However, a darkness falls and the cold settles in. They begin to realize there is far more to their seemingly innocent host than meets the eye. Um, no bones about it, this film isn't great. Um, there's not much to say about it. Um, I am proud of everyone who worked on it because obviously it was shot here and films are hard to make. Film, it's a miracle that any film gets made. Um, 
But even the people who worked on this know this isn't a film that you can really sing all of its praises. Um, but again, it's cheesy, it's fun. Um, I do recommend that you check it out for yourselves. It's not one where I'm like, oh, it's terrible, like, just write it off. I do suggest that you check it out and, you know, make your own opinions about it. The very last film of the year that I watched, just the eve of Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve Eve, I watched a film that haunted me in video stores for years, Jack Frost, from 1997, of course coming out very around the same time period as the other Jack Frost, so I know a lot of people would be, you know, in the video store back in the day, swapping out the tapes, making kids rent the horror film instead of renting the family-friendly comedy, and, you know, this film on VHS, the cover, it was like a holographic cover where Jack Frost kind of comes at you, um, it's one of the most memorable covers of going to like blockbuster i've ever had in my entire life i would love to get a jack frost tape one of these days um i'm gonna have to i've never even looked at how much they go for or anything but it's one of the tapes that always stuck out to me when i went to the video store never watched it as a kid because it was horrifying but now as an adult i finally watched it and you know what i gave it one and a half stars i don't enjoy the film but I love what it represented for me in my childhood, the nostalgicness of getting scared of the cover. Um, it's something that always stuck with me. He's chillin' and killin'. As a notorious serial killer is being driven to his execution, the truck carrying him encounters a bizarre accident that transforms him into a mutant snowman. The sheriff who originally caught the psychopath has remained concerned about his return, and it seems that his fears were well-founded. Before long, bodies pile up, all killed in gruesome, wintry ways. Can the sheriff stop the murderer's icy reign of terror? It's up to you guys to find out, because I do recommend you guys check out this film. Um, not all of you. Um, there's some rapey elements to it, which I don't enjoy, obviously. Don't like that in any horror film. Um, but in this, it's with a snowman, it's a tad ridiculous, so I guess it's a little better than some more realistic stuff, but still, just have to put that trigger warning out there, because I don't fucking like that shit, and I know a lot of people don't like that shit either. Um, my favorite part about Jack Frost, other than the cover, as I mentioned, is the opening credits. After the opening credits, the film goes completely downhill, but I think the opening credits of this film are absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's going through a Christmas tree, and all the credits in the film are on ornaments and stuff like that. And it's not like it's CG or animated or whatever. They actually made all of this shit, because you can tell, because it's an actual camera going through and filming things. Um, it's really well done, really love the opening credits, um, but after that, the film kind of sucks. Um, and yeah... That is it. Those are all of the horror films that I watched in 2021. This is the final part. The three-part series, two of them came out in October last year. This one coming out in October this year. Um, and yeah, so we're going to be moving on to 2022 in another episode of the show coming at you guys very, very soon. But for right now, I'm going to wrap this podcast up. And yeah, I'll see you guys in a second in the outro.
But that's about it for this time, you guys. I hope you enjoyed every horror film that I saw in 2021. I want to remind you guys again, if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when I post new videos. If you're listening to this over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, no matter where you're listening to the show, make sure you're subscribing to the show. Leave me a rating. Leave me a review. I have my voicemail number in the video description. Make sure you guys leave me a voicemail. I'm going to go order myself a pizza. I'm going to enjoy my evening. And that is about it. Again, I will see you guys in another episode. Take care, everyone. And as always, stay spooky.